1: Guys of Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Oh, Mackie and Shot on Score North and ScoreNorth.com. I feel needed, you know. They like do a good job of you know making guys feel needed here and making guys feel a
2: part of you know the future and, and things like that. So I think that that gives guys um, more comfortability, you know, knowing that they're needed. And you know, you're hearing from Gurs', um Gersh's voice alone. He's saying how much he wants you here, needs you here. So I mean, I think that gives guys confidence and, you know, it instills confidence in us too.
1: D'Lo, recapping the season with the Judd Zolgad hood pulled up look. I love that. that Judd will go with oftentimes. That is
3: absolutely like kind of, an I think awesome you're the, call. Hold on. In, in fact, you know what? In honor.
1: You go. I'm going You're the OG. Up. You're the OG of of the hood up look. All these NBA players are just copying your style. Well, they saw me years ago and they're like, years. I really admire that old guy with the graying beard. <laughs> what can I do to be more <laughs> like him? Welcome into the show. This is Mackie and Judd here, and uh, we've got a special guest right off the top. Our fun friend Dane Moore, our fun basketball loving friend from the Dane Moore NBA podcast, which is. Uh, I I love the, I love to see the success you've had in the podcast space and see that people have have found your basketball wisdom and we're going to tap into that here to recap the Wolf season. I think they just the Western Conference is lucky because they just ran out of runway there. They just ran out of runway with the hot finish to the season, Dane. Did they? Did they? Like... <laughs> Listen, I, mean, I never told no, you how seriously. long how long the runway was, but <laughs> they just ran out of runway.
2: <laughs> I I was thinking about this last night, like. Because people – D'Lo said in his quote after what Declan played, he was like, playoffs are a possibility next year. And everyone kind of starts getting, you know, ruffled up about that. They're like, oh, we got this expensive roster. Like, it's time to go. Like, they better make the playoffs next year. And I'm sitting here having just read an article about the 7-8 game between the Warriors and the Lakers. And I'm like, who are the Wolves going to replace in the playoffs next year? Like, I think they will be better next year. I think they will be, you know – Something close to what we've seen for these past twenty games, but it's like, all right, if it's not the Warriors or the Lakers coming out next year, who is it? Is it are the Blazers gonna fall out there, the sixth seed? The Mavs, the five seed? Like, I don't know. It's gonna be it's gonna be hard for this team. It's I'll put it like this, it'll be a it'll be a huge accomplishment if they do make the playoffs next season. Um and I think it's also kind of an expectation.
3: So Dane, what from, from the success that Phil talked about Late in the season, that Phil enjoyed, and said, "You know, win games, win games," because you you certainly had the large faction of saying, "What are you doing?" As a person that watches this team every day and and um, has a really good feeling for where things have gone in what was certainly a weird season, what is your assessment of what the late season success meant as far as far as the most important thing, which is can you then ride that? And is that a real tangible thing that's going to translate to
2: 2021-22? It's black and white. It's not black and white. There's some gray area there. Like To some extent, a lot of it is inflated. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about at some point how good Anthony Edwards' numbers were over this stretch. I mean, and D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo also put up good numbers down the stretch. But the Wolves are also playing games that are like 140 to 120 down the stretch so like yeah you're gonna have numerous guys scoring 20 a game um i think it was inflated but at the same time we saw like we saw real tangible improvement and things that i think will translate to next season specifically with anthony edwards i was actually thinking about phil before before he got in the show i was like all right what's the what's the batting average of a baseball player? If they're, if they're hitting like 40 home runs, like what batting average are you cool with where you're like, this guy's efficient. What would you say that is?
1: I would say it's more on base percentage to get really granular with your side street here. But like, you got to be getting, (laughs) you got to be getting on base at like a 300 clip or, or everything else is going to be tough.
2: So that was like the whole thing with Anthony Edwards, right? Like even at the beginning of the year, he's scoring like 20 points a game and um to get granular on the basketball side, right? Like if you're not if you're not making half of your twos and a third of your threes there, like that's you're not even close to approaching a, a league average shooting efficiency. And what we've seen from Anthony Edwards over these we kind of cut it the past 22 games of the season when D'Angelo Russell came back, is you're seeing a guy who averaged over 23 points per game and well above league average shooting efficiency in terms of his three-point, his two-point percentage, his true shooting percentage overall. So we're not, like, we're at a point with Anthony Edwards where we're not talking about, like, upside anymore. We're not talking about an inefficient chucker guy who might end up getting there. Like, we saw 22 games of Edwards where he, statistically speaking, was playing at a level kind of like a Donovan Mitchell numbers-wise, kind of like 90% of what Luka's numbers were, like, It sounds hyperbolic, and people would want to dismiss it. Like, oh, the, but the Wolves had like, the third-worst record in the league. Well, over that 22-game stretch, the Wolves went 11-11, and 11-9 in, in games that Cat played. So, like, if there's one thing to believe in from the end of this season, and I can give you a lot of things to not believe in, but if there's one thing to believe in, like, Anthony Edwards just is that. And I think, I think you guys know me well enough to be like, I'm not the guy who comes here and, like, pumps up the tires of, no am stopping, like, what's the, what's the thing to come on to? Like, Anthony Edwards, I, I've really shifted my tune on him over these past two months.
1: But isn't that so – and I agree, there's a laundry list of things to assess here. But, like, if – the reason I've been so bullish the last month on – forget about the lottery thing. Just I know that it would be, it would be great to also add a top three pick to this roster. Don't get me wrong. Like, right. I, I'm not saying it's either or, but if this nucleus – doesn't gel and look like a winning team then like you can add another player to it but eventually you're going to have to go through another rebuild anyway so I was I was more interested personally in the development of this nucleus and Anthony Edwards than I was in them losing 10 straight games just to secure a 40 percent chance to keep their pick and and of all the things you could nitpick I feel like Anthony Edwards is the most important and if and if you have seen a transformation throughout his rookie season, and and we certainly have. I think that's super important, and, I, and I'll even add this. You bring up like Donovan Mitchell, and um, and I, I think it was you that tweeted the Luka comparisons on some of the mm-hmm. stats and the rates yesterday. If he is all of a sudden going to be the version that we've seen for the last 20 or 25 games, if he's going to be that guy for 82 games next year, this is a playoff team to me, and I don't know who they replace. I can't answer that question yet. Right. But like but like that guy for 82 games and Chris Finch with an offseason, to me, like that's a different ballgame than what we saw this year.
2: I, I mean I'm with you, but the problem still is the defense. Like Anthony Edwards, um, I think I I wouldn't say he made strides plural defensively over the course of the season, but I would say he made a stride. All right.
0: Uh, yeah
2: defensively and i think cal had his best defensive season of his career um and we saw d'angelo russell try on defense sometimes still when all those things were happening together under chris finch the wolves were 29th out of 30 teams in the league in defensive rating and I, i mean it's just still it's still a massive problem it is the problem that that Gerson Rosas has to try and, you know, rectify this offseason, that Chris Finch has to try and scheme for this offseason, because at the end of the day, Anthony Edwards can be Donovan Mitchell, whatever, partially Luka Doncic offensively, but if he's one of the worst defenders in the league, as he was for much of the season, it's not going to translate to winning. And we're going to be talking about, like, all right, maybe 500 basketball, and 500 basketball won't get you into the playoffs in the West. So that's the that's when we start t- talking about what I'm skeptical about or what I do think will translate over to next season. Like I don't know if I can say that I think the defense is going to be significantly better next year. And without that, like I-, I don't know how much changes.
3: What potential changes that Gerson can make then Dane would, would get them towards that step of bolstering that part of their game?
2: Tough man. They don't have cap space. <laughs> Like, they don't, and they have a 78% chance or 72% chance of not having their pick. So, you're running up against it where, like, you got to trade Rubio or Beasley, um, probably attach an asset onto one of them, and try and get a power forward. I mean, I'm I'm at the point, I think Chris Finch is at the point, too, where he thinks Jaden McDaniels is a three, and, and that would be his preference for, for using him in that way obviously you know you have cat as one of the bigs but they they need a they need a four they need a power forward who can defend the rim who can rebound the ball at a high clip and who can play pick and roll defense the wolves are terrible at all three of those things cats terrible at like one and a half of those things so you got to address that it, it's the same as i mean i'm sure i came on here like six months ago and we were saying the same stuff but that's that's the position on this roster Jaden mcdaniel's filled in some of it you know but the Chris Finch was talking about it the other day, and he referred to it as 170 pounds, 170 pounds. <laughs> like the kid's like six nine. I mean, yeah. he's 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 skinny. He fights, but he's he's not a he's not a power forward. Yeah.
1: Uh, so so Dane, give us you know you you are so in tune with X's and O's and just some of the granular things that I think will help you uh, enlighten our audience here. When, and we love Ryan Saunders on this show. He's been a friend of the show. I think he's a wonderful human. But obviously something changed and clicked when Chris – it took him a few games, but when Chris Finch comes in and the team starts winning more, I think getting, getting players back was helpful. But what are some of the biggest things that Chris Finch has done that you have seen, whether it's tangible X's and O's things or whether it's more just like the way that he is communicating and empowering certain players?
4: I
2: think the defensive – scheme changed drastically um what you saw under ryan saunders and this was in conjunction with gerson rosa's was um what they would call an analytically driven defense where you're trying to force teams into taking the the least efficient shots as frequently as possible we call that a drop scheme where you know it's a it's a high pick and roll and you drop the rip the big man back to the rim and you're kind of inviting you know 16 footers we saw it's maddening at times because I, people I'm sure they've been watching these games this year, they're like, get up, cat!" Like Devin Booker or Bradley Beals made like seven straight mid-range pull-ups. But, you know, that's kind of the quote-unquote analytically driven defense. You just try and force those shots the whole time. And what I think was extremely frustrating under Ryan Saunders was not that that wasn't smart. It was just so dogmatic. And And as a basketball player, like, it doesn't take you long in the midst of a game to get a feel for like, all right, this is the areas on the floor that they're giving me. And I one, I, if I'm proud of the field and I have confidence in knocking down a 15-footer, I'm going to take those. But two, I just know that this is my area to work from. I'm going to get into the nail and I'm going to look to distribute to the corners or out for the pop or whatever. And it was, it was just such a conservative scheme that I always viewed it as having a real high or a real low like glass ceiling of like maybe mediocrity of if, even if it worked out perfectly what we've seen from Chris Finch is a complete shift um towards aggression defensively they refer to it as this scramble defense where they are where they're they're helping and recovering we call them X outs where so-and-so's coming out on one guy and the other guy crosses over making an X to close out onto that guy and it's well it's why when you're watching these games you're seeing this scrambling sort of defense. A lot of times we see Anthony Edwards get steals out of those sort of situations. And it looks like exciting and energetic and, um, you know, sometimes leads to fast breaks. But the reality of the situation is the Timberwolves are 21st in defense under Ryan Saunders last year. And under Chris Finch, we just went through it. They were 29th in defense now. Nah. So I personally believe that this current scramble system is just like a hack that looks good. Um, and I think, and I think and I think Chris Finch has kind of talked about that too. He's like, "Yo, we don't like, we don't have the guys or the time to really put in a, a structured system." So the way I kind of like compare it to, is it's like back in the day when you were a kid and you were just clearly had the more athletic team. You're like, "Hey, we're just gonna full court press." whole game, just whole game on the full court press. And like this team's like fatter and slower than we are. So we're probably going to get some steals. Like that's what, that's what Chris Finch has put into place. And it looks good when it looks good, but um, ultimately neither of the systems have worked. And that's why, that's why I don't think you just need new defensive personnel largely. And you just got to kind of, you got to nail it schematically for, for where you're going.
3: So, Dan, how different does this team look uh, potentially, and I'm not saying that this will solve things completely, but with a full camp under Finch um, and and his ability to uh, deploy his personnel in schemes that he actually wants and and is not sort of forced into because of, of the timing he got hired, how different could things be and how different do you think philosophies might be with him now having a lot of time then to gear up for a season?
2: I don't know, Judd. I mean, honestly, I don't like it's it's hard. It's it's hard to know. And we always kind of do this thing where we're like, all right, they got time now. Like they got the offseason. They got the core together. They got their stuff like it's going to be better. Um, I believe in Chris Finch is like a basketball thinker. Um, I I think he will put a good plan into place. I don't know if it's going to work. I I don't know if it's going to work. I think it'll probably work offensively. I think there'll be a, I don't know, a a top 10 offense next year for sure. Uh, I think they're already, I mean, pretty much approaching on that at the end of this year. And that was without Beasley. So it's just going to be about like, it's going to be about defense and defense. Isn't just about scheme. It's about getting the guys to buy in, to do it, you know, to whatever that, to whatever that scheme is. And I think like, The thing I'm interested to see with Chris Finch is like, what does this look like when things start not going well? Mm -hmm. What do things start looking like in, you know, 20 games in the next season and it's clearly like Cat and Ant's team? Like, what does that look like from a D'Angelo Russell perspective? Mm -hmm. What does it look like when Malik Beasley has clearly fallen to like fourth or fifth in the pecking order? What do the personalities look like there? That's the like, that's the ultimate challenge of NBA coaching is you have all these dudes who have been top guys in their basketball teams all their life. They've been fucking I mean, Malik Beasley's like he's probably gonna be like the sixth man next year. You think Malik Beasley thinks in his head that he's no. anything less than a second option. I mean that in a lot of ways, that's great. You've got like, you've got a guy who has shown to be a 20 plus point per game score, 40% clip, but, do they truly buy into winning as a group? And can Chris Finch manage the personalities to do that? Like, I'm all in on Chris Finch as a thinker, and I'm to be determined on where he is as a personality synergizer, I guess. Yeah,
1: well, so we're on, on the delo front specifically, because it was pretty easy coming back from injury, right? Hey, delo listen, we're going to bring you off the bench. You're going to play 20 minutes, then we'll go to 25, 30. You'll come off the bench. but the, you know, But eventually... You can sell that for a few weeks, right? Hey, let's just will ease you back in. It'll be great. And but eventually, he's a start. You're paying him to be a starting player. His ego says he's a starting player, and so and Phil, his stats do for sure. He, he's
2: for a sure. player. Like Dilo is a, is a starting caliber player.
1: Yep. And so I guess if if it gets to the point where Dilo is very clearly third in the pecking order instead of being first or second, how, how do you think? How much do you think he is going to be bought into? his role evolving uh, when it comes to what's best for winning?
2: See, I think what I've shifted on, DLO, and this always happens. We, I mean, this is all Minnesota sports, right? Like, we we fancy ourselves like, oh, we're well-rounded sports analysts. Like, I watch the whole NFL. I watch the whole MLB. I watch the whole NBA. and you think you, like, know guys before they get to their team? I remember Jeff Teague was, like, the, the main one. I was like, oh, yeah, I know Jeff Teague, like Hawks, whatever. And then they come in, and they're on the Tim Rolls and you're like, Wait a minute! This player is actually A, B, and C when I thought they were X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And with D'Angelo Russell, I say that to be like I labeled Delo as so much more of a scorer guy that he was just isolation getting to his shot. And what I feel like I've learned from watching D'Angelo Russell and talking with him is like he is a pass first guy. I think that is his ethos. Is like that's what he's looking. He's looking at playing off of other players and. And if that playing off requires shooting, then it requires shooting. But I think like he's, I think he's cooler than we all think with being a, a distributor on this team. And so he's the one that I'm like, I'm not too worried about him being the third guy. And I think that's what everyone's going to say in the next year is like, oh, now it's Cat and Ant's team, and there's not going to be enough fastballs for Dilo to go around. I mean, Dilo might be a little prickly, so I'm not saying it's going to be totally clean but like I have no concern about D'Angelo Russell being like oh I'm not averaging 20 a game if the Wolves are you know if the Wolves are playing 500 basketball I don't think the D'Lo thing is going to go sour it's going to be the problem the question is going to be is if they go you know they go on like a 3 and 12 stretch and D'Lo's in that role and Malik's in a lower role like that's That's what I would start to be concerned about.
3: this. And, Dane, I think you just hit on the most important thing that we don't know yet about Chris Finch, which is the management of the egos and people. Because, like, he got thrown in here, and it was probably a a breath of fresh air because the team was terrible at that time. But starting from day one now, I mean, this is going to be his team, his decisions across the board. And so it'll be – that, to me, becomes the most important secondary thing to – what your basketball philosophy is, is how well do you communicate and identify with and motivate, most importantly, probably to your point about defense, uh, guys that aren't necessarily going to buy in unless they believe in what you're selling them?
2: And, you know, I, okay, so Ricky's been super, like, honest all year, right? Like, he talked about how it was bad when it was bad, and he, we know how that works when players are honest. We listen to them when it's, you know, when they're saying other things too. and. um Britt asked Ricky about Chris Finch after the last game of the season. And, um, and Ricky, it was really interesting answer. Where Ricky was like, you know, Finch is going to be himself and he's not going to like, he's not going to back down in terms of personality to anybody, you know? And the implications there were clear. It's like, you know, Kat's been given a silver spoon for six years here. Like D'Lo has been a a personality problem in previous stops uh, with with other coaching staffs. There, it's like I take I take Rickyetta's word there that you know Finch is good at this, you know, and and will you know will not be kind of pushed around and will not cater to these guys in the way that maybe we've seen previous coaches either over cater to them or over ignore them. I mean, I think you guys know where I'm going with which coaches did that. Um, I think Finch is just like a legit pro coach. Yeah. And um and he seen like there's no like you cannot normally like in my job you can kind of like get a sense for when a guy or two on the roster isn't sold on the coach. Mm-hmm. I don't have that sense at all right now from anybody on this team like um they're in on Finch. So I I think we just roll with that for now, Judd, like and Readjust, <laughs>
1: readjust
2: our it's expectations, old, expectations
1: to, yeah. <laughs> we're always readjusting. Yeah. um, yeah. yeah. um day we'll, we'll definitely we'll, we'll get you on again because we'd love to do it at some point once once a rod and mark Laurie hold their official press conference which i'm sure will happen we'd love to just talk more about ownership but real quick before we let you go you have sort of coined the slogan weirdest <laughs> team ever for this team which i love they are they are one of the weirdest teams in all of professional sports what is the what is like on the Mount Rushmore of weirdest team ever things this year? What's the George Washington like? What was like the the thing that made you said oh, this really is the weirdest team ever?
2: Try and pick a positive thing because weirdest team ever is not only a negative thing. We know what the negative things that have played out this year. There's been some uh, some bad public imaging of the, the team that that has happened, and that's weird. Um, but the, the George Washington in a positive way is probably beating the Utah Jazz yeah. all, all three times that they played them this year. It's like they're weird because they're unpredictable. They're weird because they are going to go in the direction that you least, you know, expect them to go, and that is going to be maddening when it's bad. And it's going to be, like, euphoric when it's when it's good. It's, it's like, I mean, what, what the hell? Like, Alex Rodriguez owns his team now. Yeah. That's so weird. Like go, People are like, oh, they're not the weirdest team ever. I'm like, dude. A-Rod dude, owns look, the that, team. That's
1: the George Washington.
2: We got the whole Mount Rushmore of this stuff. I mean, what happened with Malik easy this year? Like, there's a whole bunch of different things this year where the team is like, you don't know what you're going to get. I feel like. Every single time, it's like a Saturday. They think The Bulls got like two days off. It's like a Friday, Saturday, no games. Out like grilling, drinking some beers. Every time, me and Jace Frederick, who writes for the Pioneer Press, talk about this every time. Every time you get like 36 hours of time off, John Krasinski comes out with some tweet, and Jimmy Butler's traded. Or Alex Rodriguez owns the team, or Tibbs can't be found, or whatever it might be. It's like I'm telling you from sitting here doing this every day for years now. It's weird. It's this is a very weird, weird team. I I, I don't know. I don't know what else to call it.
1: Amazing. All right, you go check out his podcast, the Dane Moore NBA podcast, and uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of great stuff as we lead up to the draft lottery and then hopefully the draft, I guess we'll see for the Timberwolves, but free agency and trade <laughs> season, et cetera. So, all right, Dane, we'll talk again soon, man. Thanks for coming on. Dane Moore, our old uh, buddy, he used to do some work covering the Wolves for score North too over the last few years. Real quick. He mentioned uh Tom Thibodeau. So, and we'll, we'll play a clip later on the show so that you guys can tell me if my list was whack or not, but, I was on with uh, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. It, Zubin's been off, so Alan Hahn filled in for Zubin, and he's from ESPN New York. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of the discussion, so they let me go, but I could still hear them talking afterwards. And Alan, kind of under his breath but still on the air, said, oh, and by the way, uh, thanks for Tom Thibodeau. He's a big Knicks fan. He goes, thanks for Tom Thibodeau. Yep. And if I could have jumped back into the conversation, I would have said, I'd give it one more year. I'd give it one more year before you get super comfortable and happy with Tom Thibodeau. Yep. (laughs) So, uh, by the way, Dane Moore's uh, discussion with us was presented by our friends at PXG Minneapolis. PXG's been helping people improve their golf game, look better on the course, you name it. uh, PXG will help you when it comes to your golf game. It's a golfer's paradise over in Southdale Center, and you can find out more at pxg.com slash Minneapolis the Gen 4 golf clubs, which are the best-performing clubs PXG has ever made, um, and some great swag, some spring and summer apparel that just arrived. So PXG Minneapolis in Southdale Center, and find out more at pxg.com slash Minneapolis. Before we get into other things here, anything that stood out there from our discussion with Dane, I think the fact that they have no cap space and maybe no draft pick is going to be problematic. (laughs) Yeah. So
3: cross your fingers, but... See. I think the thing that he said that stood out to me because he's around the team so much and watches it every game is his uh, his pessimism about how they're going to crack into the playoffs, which I think is going to stay with the plan format. Right. So it's 10 teams that get into a, a potential playoff tournament, mm-hmm. because I really do believe that the only success of building off what the Wolves did with Chris Finch late this year when things did start to turn around is to be in those top 10. Like, it's just, it, it's it got, I know people will laugh, and they're like, it's the Wolves. Of course, they're not going to make it. And I get all of that. But at some point in time, like, you either turn a page or, I don't know, you move. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's not that much to ask them to be, to find a way to get into that top 10. And with the personnel that they have, Phil, it should be possible. Like, there's no... It's not like we're talking about three or four crappy players who are their quote-unquote stars. Like, if this was all about, like, if we were talking right now and saying, Malik Beasley's best player on this team, they'd be screwed. I get that. But, it, you know, when it's Cat, Delo and Ant, is it that preposterous to say that this should be a top-ten team? I'm not saying that they should contend for a Western Conference title. I'm not saying they should be top-five. But I don't think it's out of line to say that any rational sports fan group in any town would look at this roster and yeah. say, Why can't you be team nine?
1: I think um, so Dane's right about the West being loaded and there's you know there's there's good young teams like the like the Pelicans or they weren't in the ten and like they were eleven this year and like they'll jump in at some point. So it's very competitive. But I think Ant is headed maybe as soon as next year. He's headed for top 10 player in the league status at some point. Like, he's going to score 25, 30 points a game. He's learning how to be efficient. I think there's a learning curve defensively for some guys, too. Like, at some point, he'll get better at defense. So I if that happens, and all of a sudden now Delo's your third best player, and, and, and that's probably more of the right role for him. I don't think he's the lead the franchise guy by any means. Yes. Now you got something. Now you got something. Yeah, so it should be it it'll, cross your fingers on the draft pick, because if you could if you could add someone to this mix, that would be amazing. Um, but the best thing to have happened is for this nucleus to have sort of figured it out down the stretch, regardless of what happens with this lottery.
3: Pick. And the potential thing that I really like that looks like it's beginning to happen is with the personalities and people that this team now has as stars, they should slot in right. Which is Ant is the guy, like in, like off the court too. Like the way that Ant goes about life is perfect. Uh, he's young. He's charismatic. He's well spoken. He's a star player. So, so, and I mean, we, we've talked about this, Phil, going back two or three years. It allows Cat to slot in perfectly now, right? Cause now this whole Cat's got to be the guy. Cat's got to stand up. Cat's got to talk. It's sort of off of him. So this allows him to, he he might still be their best player on the floor, but it very much allows him to be, as far as face of the franchise goes, the second guy, which I think he's suited for ideally. And if D'Lo can accept his role, which, by the way, will still be pretty damn important, mm-hmm. this for the first time, if you think about it, chemistry-wise works, because Butler was supposed to work, but he didn't work because he he was a raging jackass. <laughs> Andrew... Andrew was always going to be himself, which which was a guy that basically would prefer, you know, I mean, he's a, he might be smart, but he didn't want to talk. Um, he was never going to take control. He never looked like he he was truly having a good time. So I do think that we are now as far as a, a grouping of human standpoint to where the personalities can slot in almost perfectly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Meanwhile.
1: Judd's gone. Judd, Judd is leaving. Judd, Judd, is ta- Judd has gone. taken his headphones off. I think he's getting caught. He has or leaving he, he has left done. the studio, and uh, and we are now just staring at I can't two bobbleheads.
3: Do it and I won't do it. <laughs> he's
4: embarrassment. He just he just pulled a Pat Royce. He opened my door mid, mid mid segment. Closes the door <laughs> mid segment and he uh he can't do it here was uh he was Rocco right after the game though
2: this is not uh it's not okay we all we all have to know that acknowledge it own it um and and do what we need to do going forward to make sure that this doesn't persist uh because it, it it was hard I mean that that was a hard game to um to get through and you know there were some there were a few bright spots a few guys doing some things out there but uh you know we got to we got to go out there and, and certainly have a, a better uh, better
1: effort than that. I don't know why you guys are so down. Listen, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. It's not often you get the joy of watching Williams Astadío throw 45 mile per hour Ephis pitches at the ballpark. I had a blast watching that last night. I don't know why you guys you guys are so hung up on wins and losses. I'm just here for some fun times at the old ballpark. Give me La Tortuga.
4: I can throw 45 miles an hour. That's the last time I was clocked two years ago. So I throw trying, as hard. Trying
1: to throw hard? Trying to throw hard. <laughs> big
4: difference. Big difference, certainly. But that is the equivalent. That's the equivalent. I can throw as hard as La Tortuga and people love it. That's absurd. It's fun,
3: right? It's, it's fun. so much fun. Yeah. Does anybody fun. drive around trying to, to find house fires and stop and start laughing about them? Oh, look, that guy's house on fire. That's pretty funny. I love it. It's a house fire. Is hey, that La Tortuga in a
1: firefighter outfit? Oh, my God.
3: Look at La him. Tortuga he pitching. so cute. La, yeah, Tortuga. La Tortuga pitching is the house on fire, and people are like, I guess he got a big round of applause. I was not there. I was watching hockey as well. I actually did watch a lot of the Twins. It was awful. But, like, how is this funny? What What is funny about? What's the comic relief? And, by the way, if you cheered, it means you probably bought a ticket. Like, are you telling me you're paying for this crap and you think it's funny?
1: I actually want to read real quick here. I want to read. So Judd posted a video last night on Score North Twitter, just an immediate reaction, basically, like, what are you what are these idiots doing? Yeah. What? Like, What is that? Mean, right. No accountability. And one 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 of the first replies was from a Twins fan named Austin. And he mocks Judd and says, don't laugh at funny things. It is not funny. Baseball is serious business. Accountability. Who will pay for this? It goes all the way to the top. Ah, sometimes the team isn't good. It sucks, but y'all make it sound like we need congressional hearings on twins bullpen usage. Your response to people
3: saying, listen, like, hey, sometimes the team is bad. What do you just calm down? Have you watched the games? Have Have you watched why they're bad? Have Have you have you? realize that this team is the worst team in baseball and right now there is zero accountability nobody no nothing is happening they just keep coming back to the ballpark and getting their asses whooped and having zero um it looks like there's zero enjoyment and la tortuga is pitching and we all chuckle and and laugh because the fat guy on the mound is funny um no this is not acceptable like i i baseball is fun and you know what it's really fun when you win and bat flip um, and by the way, too, I'll say this there were some people upset last night in the broadcast booth as well, when La Tortuga threw what, you know, Dex described a forty five mile per hour EFIS pitch, and oh no, the White Sox player had the audacity to hit a home run on a softball pitch because that's against baseball rules, when the twins were actively mocking the entire sport by having this guy pitch. Um, no, this is not fun. I'm sorry. I don't find, I find it to be maddening. I find it to be cringe worthy. I do not find this to be fun at all. And I would like to see some damn accountability here. I mean, I agree with the fans. I, I am not going to side with a lot of brethren in, in our industry right now who are brushing this off and being like, well, oh yeah. Okay. It's been tough. Screw them. Screw the players. Screw the team. It's been tough. You've won back-to-back division titles, and we had hope for you. Look, if nothing else, selfishly, and this includes Phil and Dex, too, you are bleeping up our entire summer. We're really good at talking twins. And you know what? <laughs> viewers, we, we, want, listeners, we want to talk about you. Yeah, want, please right? help us. But but I don't blame anybody out there listening to the sound of my voice right now who said, Judge, screw you. I don't want you to talk, twins. We got that tweet. We got that tweet last night saying, would you guys – Please stop talking, twins. They don't deserve it. And you know what that tweet was? Correct. So, no, bleep all of you. Do your job. Win some baseball games. This, you know, by 2014, right, Phil? That team just stunk. And, like, we just punted as soon as the season started. And I could accept that. 2016 was an unmitigated disaster after a nice year. But we still were, like, it was depressing. But that team didn't have these great aspirations. Everybody, including the team, consider themselves a contender. And now, where are they all? Aside from Rocco being trotted out in front of a hostage Zoom camera after every damn game to try and tell us that, yeah, guys are taking this hard. I'm, nobody has to flip a table. Nobody has to start yelling and screaming or even getting as upset as I am right now. But you know what I would like to see? Some accountability from people at Target Field For the fact that this is off the rails and it's inexcusable. And last night, yeah, Byron Buxton's out. Yeah, Max Kepler's out. But Jay Happ, who started, was a guy that you signed and he was making his regular start. There was nothing forced about that. And you had, last time I checked, Donaldson at third. Simmons at short. Garver started behind the plate. Now, I know he got hurt, but he's having a very, very, very tough year at the plate. Um, arise in in left and don't give me Kirloff's hurt. This team did not consider Kirloff to be good enough to be on its opening day roster. So that is not a oh my god, Kirloff's out and he was carrying us. Bleep that. Um, so you had two, and Sano was at first base, and I believe Polanco was at short. So the point is you had two guys out, okay? The White Sox had three stars out.
1: Yeah, I mean, so like, stop I, not, not to sit here and like start a media war, but I just, I I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of people just sort of shrugging and letting this thing slide. And I'm reading the second paragraph of, of an athletic article that says, "Already beat up beyond recognition, the Twins lost yet another player to injury uh, when Mitch Garver, etc." It's like I don't want to hear "beat up beyond recognition" when the team that just pummeled you is literally without like two of the best, most exciting young players in the entire league, and those guys aren't coming back anytime soon. And you can play the Byron Buxton injury card. He's the most impactful player on this team, offensively, defensively. Absolutely. They were garbage with Byron Buxton hitting 400 and leading the league in home runs through the first three or four weeks, right? I mean, I'm getting, I'm getting text messages from Twins fan friends that are eternally optimistic, like this one last night. Screenshot of the Twins. I think this is Instagram. La Tortuga takes the mound and it's like a big, like, it's a it's a picture of him taking the mound and, you know, all exciting, right? And he says, how bleeping tone deaf are they? I have $12,000 worth of season tickets. Bleep, you guys, legit over the entire operation. Trade everybody already. Context is important here, okay? If this was just, listen, if they had had some recent playoff success and if, if this was just a disappointing season, I think, all right, well, it, it does happen in baseball where sometimes – You just dig yourself a hole because baseball is kind of a coin flip sport sometimes, and you can't dig out of it, and it happens. There's definitely a get-out-of-jail-free card for the, it's baseball, it happens, and sometimes things don't go your way, right? Mm -hmm. But when you've gone 6,070 days now, as of today, 6,070 days without winning a playoff game, 0-18 over that stretch, so that looms over you going into the season. And when you've sort of played it off, like, I mean, I still like this front office, but everyone in the organization, the players, the front office has downplayed this thing. Well, a lot of that happened before we got here. Listen, we're just Rocco, right? We're just living in the moment. And what happened in 2004, 2006, 2010, 2009, like we could list all the years, doesn't really apply to us. Well... You can say that, but you know who it does apply to? The fans that pay $12,000 for season tickets, okay? The fans have felt this burden for almost 20 years now. The last time they won a playoff series was 19 years ago. And so when, when, when you go into a year and all of the stakeholders involved, from the fans to the players to the manager to the coaches to the front office, all believe, and the, and the, and the national media all believe that this is a playoff contending team at minimum, and maybe even a team that can, with a tweak or two, can go on and do something meaningful in October, and you have the worst record in baseball almost two months in, people have a right to be pissed. Mm -hmm. And I think people have a right to call you on, like, look, it's La Tortuga, he's pitching against. like, we've seen that a million times. It's not really as much fun when your team that was supposed to win 90 games or 95 games and make a run is this embarrassing. And I saw awful announcing road up. They grabbed... I love Roy Smalley, man, but like he, you know, he wasn't happy with the 3-0 pitch, uh, the EFIS pitch that got hit a million miles to left field last night. Yeah. It's just not how you respect the game, and Dick Bramer kind of went along with it and awful announcing called it out today on their website. You know what? Th- that's not the embarrassing part. The embarrassing part is that you're the worst team in baseball, your bullpen is unfixable, your offense can't score runs, and you've got La Tortuga out there throwing 45 miles an hour. Bombs away. I wish the White Sox would have hit 10 home runs off him last night.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: As far as I'm concerned, they weren't aggressive enough against him throwing underhanded softball pitches, basically.
3: So, and it's, the, know, and it's the, the Twins making a joke of the game. And that's that's what I want from Bally Sports North. I want you to tell me and Roy as well. And Roy's great. Love Roy. but I But you tell me, look, if you're offended by the home run, that's fine. But what you need to also say is you're offended by how the twins are playing. And let's break down, let's stop acting like it's fine. I mean, mom and dad are getting divorced here. And we're like, oh, I'm gonna bring my friends over for dinner. And they're like, but we're getting divorced. Let's talk about Two the divorce. Let's talk about the divorce. Let's talk about what's gone wrong. I mean, I want that. I want oh. you. This is a disaster. This is a disaster. And the Lot Tortuga thing's not funny. The Lotto, look, was it 2019? What was the year that they brought um, that they were actually decent? Was it Rocco's first year, and they they got blown out on occasion, and they would bring a pitcher and a position or I'm sorry, a position player to pitch, which which was funny because the team was good, and it's like, "Oh, another position player," and then we kept track of it and we laughed, and that's fine. But this is not funny. There's nothing funny about this, and and it's really frustrating to me that it re, that it feels like there is zero accountability. Nobody's getting fired. Nobody's getting traded. No, I mean, they they are making the roster transactions, gentlemen, that they always make. Well, this guy pitched four innings last night, so he's going to St. Paul, and then we're going to get this guy. That's not a move, okay? Like, you need to... And And, Phil, we don't know this, but it feels like something is off. And if there is a cancer in that clubhouse, it needs to go. I don't care who it is. I don't care who it is. If there is a... I have never seen this group of people, especially the ones who have been here a while, look like they are having this little fun and enjoyment. I mean, in 2019, this was the good time team. They had a ton of fun. The home runs were fun, but they were having fun, too. Um, If there is something in that clubhouse that is causing any problems, I think that person should be gone immediately. And I almost, and I don't, you're so bad, I don't care who it is, and I will say this is my last statement. I don't care if you have to eat the salary. If there's a problem in there and this person is causing enough of a divide, because I will say from observation of Rocco, I will go out on a ledge and say this one. If there is a true problem in that clubhouse, he can't fix it. He is the live and let live guy. So if there is a dominant personality that's causing problems, or or causing people to be uncomfortable, or causing people not to enjoy their job, Baldelli can't fix that. He didn't show anything in 2019. the The clubhouse policed itself, and Nelson Cruz did a very good job. Here's another thing.
1: I, I I'm reading this from. Oh, I can't read. Apparently, I can't read the rest of this because uh, TwinCities.com is on a paywall. Yep. Oh, and it's on the <laughs> so, worst
3: one possible. And I freelance for him. I love him. I love you, folks. But oh, yeah, man. I can't get through. I can't get through the the firewalls. Ordinarily, so, I can.
1: Par- I'll paraphrase this, but so so shooter Charlie Walters is uh, is still doing. I think a weekly column, yes. just you know, notebook and stuff. And um, he talked to Jim Polat about the Twins' terrible start. This is like three or four days ago, and. One of, before I re- read this paraphrase quote, I, I people criticize twins ownership all the time, but I've always thought for the wrong reason. They always criticize Jim Polad for being cheap, right? The cheap pole ads. Yes, and while they certainly aren't lavish in their spending, baseball's economics are different than the salary capped sports. Like, well, the Wilfs spend money, yeah, because they're guarded against losing any money. There's a salary cap structure in place that prevents them. If you opened up the NFL's salary cap roof and you just allowed teams to spend however they want within the constraints of their business, the Vikings would look much different. Like they wouldn't be winning the bidding war for the top quarterback on the market, right? The Giants would. The Cowboys would, etc. Yes. So I just want to preface. I think the, the criticism of Twins ownership when it comes to payroll and being cheap is a little misguided. The real criticism should be and should always be for years and years is Jim Polad's lack of curiosity and innovation. Now, when they moved on from Terry Ryan and hired Falvey and Levine, and that has led to a lot of regular season success, that's about the most innovative thing they've done. They spent, a, they spent millions to overhaul the scouting department, and they brought in new analytics tools and pitch tracking software and hardware in the minor league stadiums. They did all this stuff behind the scenes that helped lead to the bomba squad and and regular season success right mm-hmm. but the problem is when things go the wrong way jim pollett is a hands off just shrug your shoulders passive non curious owner and so shooter was asking him hey you know what's up with this bad start and jim pollett kind of well you know it's really disappointing he just kind of weaved his way around but then mm-hmm. he said when shooter asked him are changes on the horizon you are you going to have to do something and hold someone accountable or do something. And he said, I'm not in, ch- I'm not in charge of, of changes. You're not dude. You're the owner no. of the team. Yeah. But he, but he's, yeah. it's like he, yeah. he gives off sort of the scared of his own shadow demeanor. And I'm not saying he's not smart behind the scenes, but he also inherited. It wasn't like he built the company's wealth, right? His dad did. And, um. and so I don't, I don't know like how, how many successful things has he built or has he just inherited those things? And when there's a fire to be put out, sometimes he just stares at it because he Mm -hmm. doesn't know what to do because he's not innovative. He's not curious. And you're sort of seeing that here, too. I'm not saying that he should come in and just fire everyone, but I'm saying like it would be nice if the owner of the franchise was a shark who had some ideas, Yes, and he's not. He's not. So you can criticize him for not spending an extra $50 million on a free agent, and we can have that debate. But the the bigger problem historically with the poll ads has been they're not going to walk into a – into a, like a high level baseball ops meeting and say, listen, I know I, I don't know scouting, but what if we tried thinking this way? Yeah, right. He's not gonna he's not gonna do that.
3: Yep. And the, so. and this goes back to what we talked about after the, the uh, playoff defeats to the Yankees and Astros, and that was this. What did you learn from those things? Like, what did you learn? The the Twins should have learned Rocco and Derek and Thad and the entire team, as far as the decision makers should have learned enough from that Yankees playoff series that it translated to the Astros series. And, oh, well, Barrios is pitching really well. You know what? It's different. It's not the regular season, right? So we're going to leave him in for another inning or two. I don't know, but it's a playoff game, and and if we lose two, we're done. Um, It very much concerned me after those two series that it looked like nothing had been learned, and I feel like, on a grander stage right now, we're going down the same path of what are you learning here? Like, are, are you, are you taking something from, from this? Because I feel, I feel like the entire organization is overwhelmed by the flop and they're, and they're like the fans are, which is what happened here. It's like, no, you've got to actually stop and observe and learn this. And, and the twins are smart yeah, do, people do the work, do the work to fix it. Like but, what are you doing? But like, and, but I mean, and what's going on, are you are you taking notes on this? Are you when it comes when it comes to Rocco? This is the exact type of crisis that I don't think he is prepared for, because I don't think I think he's got a great skill set, but it's a very it, it's in one it's in one path. Right. And so when it all goes to hell, which it's done, is Rocco prepared to address it? And I, you know what? From the zooms that I've I've watched, Phil. I don't really feel that he is. Like, have you seen signs of? Oh, that's okay. That's a good thing. I I just see signs of. Well, we're all frustrated and and it's tough, and the guys are showing up, and that's not what I want to hear from a guy who's you know supposedly in charge.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we all. I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that this roster is like on the Dodgers level or you know some of the best teams in baseball, but right. this roster isn't 13, 14 games below 500 bad, even with some of the injuries and stuff, and like some of the leaky bullpen pieces. It's the roster is better than the record by by a long shot. And so whatever they're doing to try and change things behind the scenes from a leadership standpoint isn't working or clicking or connecting. And so from that standpoint, that's all we can really – we don't know what Rocco's communication like specifically behind the scenes, but he's, he's searching for answers, and so far they don't have any. Uh, this Twins discussion, as grim and depressing as it was <laughs> – was made possible by our friends at Dennis Kirk and DennisKirk.com. If you like to ride Harleys, metric cruisers, sport bikes, you'll find what you need at DennisKirk.com. 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets as well. Order by 8 p.m. They ship the same day, and shipping is free for orders over $89. The best in the business. DennisKirk.com. Everything you need for your ride at DennisKirk.com. We're going to win. We're going to
3: score. Maybe. No win. twins watch First Jay have a pitch of swords, <laughs> uh,
1: boys. Before we piece out of here, Declan has a clip. So uh, yesterday, the uh, the guys from Keyshawn, J Will, and Zubin, Alan Hahn, was filling in for Zubin. But our our guy Jay Will pulled some strings. They're doing they're going around to some of the different markets, like the top fifteen or twenty markets, and they're, they they want to know. And I think they're putting together a bracket. Who are the most recognizable? Sports figures, current active sports figures. So current players, current coaches mm-hmm. in each market. Like if 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 player A were to or, or coach B were to walk into a crowded restaurant or a club or whatever it is, you know, the seas would part and oh, here's your table. So and so. And they'd kick someone else out. Right. So who <laughs> yeah. are those people right now? Um, I gave my list to them and I want you guys. This is like a three minute clip. I want you guys to uh, to a tell me how I did on ESPN. All right? Did I Big did top. I soil myself? And B, do you agree or disagree with the list?
3: Cavs you and your
1: top three in the Twin Cities. Yeah, let's let's count down to to create some suspense here. Uh, so number three, and and I got to be honest, this is strictly because he's the starting quarterback of the most popular team in town. Kirk Cousins is number three. And now, when you put the stipulation guys who don't have to wait to get into the club i'm now thinking about like what would Kirk cousins be like in a club if you had a ranking of the most potentially awkward star athletes in who's a club like setting i think i think Kirk cousins would that's the next list you should do who's the, who are the most awkward a-list athletes that would be standing in the corner like i don't know holding a kitty cocktail or something <laughs> Kirk cousins oh. would be there but um He's not necessarily beloved, but he's the most recognizable because he's the quarterback of the Vikings. So it was kind of a tie between him and Adam Thielen for who oh, came out of the uh, the Vikings out like, of the bracket here. So.
2: Sounds like Night at the Roxbury like
1: with that. those two guys there.
3: You like that? You like those <laughs> bottles? You like that
1: beer? Like that? <laughs> so do we have a number two? It's like, I, sir, I'm just a server. I don't know why you're yelling at me. <laughs> right. so I just called uh, number, that. Number two, Carl Anthony Towns. So... Um, so I wanted to pick someone that represented the most recognizable young star athletes in Minnesota, and there's actually a really encouraging crowd. There's Carl anthony Towns, Kirill Kaprizov with the Minnesota Wild, uh, Justin Jefferson, Byron Buxton, Anthony Edwards might win rookie of the year, right? But Cat but has been doing it for about five years. He's the face of the Wolves franchise. Which I will admit is a short bar to clear. Face of the <laughs> Wolves franchise is the short bar to clear. It's like being the face of MySpace. They haven't really been relevant in about fifteen years. Um, but Karl Anthony Towns, seven feet tall, can walk into any place and and people will uh, will have oogly eyes because um, because he's cat. And then um, and then number one, if you want to get to it here, yeah, Lindsay Whalen is the most recognizable walk in the door. Miss Whalen, where can we seat you, right? Um Minnesota high school and college basketball legend, then helped the Minnesota Lynx to four championships over the course of about 10 years and uh and I can tell you eyeballs light up when she walks into any establishment. Now she's the head coach of the Gopher women's basketball team here and she represents Minnesotans from small farm town to a wildly successful uh, sports career and and she really is an A-list celebrity here among us in the state of Minnesota.
2: That's the first female we've had. In the one, wow. Right. Okay. And, and as a coach as well, right? So you have those two, it's not even a current athlete, but somebody who had obviously an impact on the landscape there. Is it, is it the, the and the Lynx were very popular, right? Like that was a very popular team, especially winning their championships when they were doing it. You know, we, we see a lot of markets. WNBA doesn't get a ton of coverage, but there in the twin cities. They were considered one of the elite teams, right?
1: Yeah, and you also have to consider too here. You know, like we talk about markets, like Cleveland with the championship drought, you know, with the, with, with the baseball team and and the Browns and whatnot, and um, and Buffalo, and like all these towns that haven't won championships in so long. Well, on the men's side, the last time one of the the men's teams won a championship was 1991. So we're not we're now 30 years. You know, we're a third of a century basically since one of the men's teams won. Well, the Lynx have been a dynasty over that stretch, and Lindsey Whalen was the central figure. Um, And so we, 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 we love the phrase one of us here in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So if you are one of us, Adam Thielen, right. Um, I think anyone who comes from Minnesota and becomes a star, Joe Maurer with the twins for a long time, there's just a different level of connection. It's a very provincial state. And so that's why she's number one. All right. Do you guys a, okay. That was good. Besi- besides, uh, besides not knowing that I was going to be on camera until 30 seconds before. And all eyes homeless, north, baby.
3: Wolves owe you. Uh, Wolves should send you a check.
1: How would you, how would you review the appearance and then B, how, how would you differ your lists?
3: Uh, the appearance was good. That's all right. Yeah. My, my observation, though, <laughs> is this. If you go back and watch that tape. J will all in likes you. It's very clear, right? The other guys have no no, the, no no the, the host did a good job of being the host. He he he, humored it. Keyshawn was so checked out. It was un- <laughs> he should have gone to the cafeteria. <laughs> he, was, he was gone. He was, was also. He is like looking at his notes. He's like looking down at w- at one point. You said you said was it Kirk? Oh, you you mocked Kirk, and he sort of grimaced like oh, I was a football player. I I got I got the back of Kirk Cousins or something.
1: He also I so I miss. There was a two minute chunk at the beginning, and I I misspoke. I meant to clown uh, Jay Will about uh, Ed Davis, and I think I said Reed. Re- I combined Nas Reed and Ed, Ed Davis Reed. into into Ed Reed. Oh. Yeah. Uh but but J Will got the joke. But but I think Keyshawn saw Jay Will and I like laughing and clowning, and like didn't. I don't think he knew. Like oh, those guys know each other. Was this filming? <laughs> cut, yeah, is this he, filming? Yeah, Keyshawn and
3: Keyshawn don't care.
1: He just so bad. I said, you know, I I clown Jaywell, and Keyshawn looked over at Jaywell like, who's this guy clowning you? <laughs> and luckily, Jaywell laughed because he's been a regular on our show and enjoys our enjoys our company. But um, how would you guys? I, I think you got to find a way. If I could go back, you got to find a way to put Dollar Dollar Bill Corill on there now. Uh, just everything that he's done. I don't know that he's super. I don't know if he like if he walked into a crowded Applebee's in Bloomington <laughs> or something. I don't know how recognizable he is yet because he's so new. Yeah. He's new, but, but he's in very terms of star. But power, he's very
3: recognizable as far as like the, like his face. Like you would, he's going to be really well known if he's not now. Shortly, uh, the two yeah. the two players that I would put on that list right now would be. Um, that that you didn't have would be Kareel, and he might not be super recognizable yet. But Justin Jefferson, because I think people, I I think he's go, I think he's the face and is going to be the face of this team. I just don't think that Kirk, like I know that Kirk's the QB on the most important team in this town, but I just don't feel like there's a lot of love for Kirk, and I think that Jefferson's loved, and so Cat's probably right for sure, but I would probably put. Kirill and Jefferson on this list. And if Jefferson continues to break out, I think he probably goes to the top just because he's a Viking and, mm-hmm. and potentially a superstar.
4: And they were also mm-hmm. looking for active, right? Like they were looking for, or well, and the Lindsay Whalen, I guess is technically mm-hmm. a coach. They weren't necessarily looking for
1: active, no, active, active coaches and active players okay. Co- and coaches. Yeah.
4: yeah. So I'll even say like, Grant. you know, like, in general, like, yeah, if you wanted to go down the history list, but, like, Joe Maurer, I think, is still, like, in, in the Twin Cities media scene. Like, if you, if Joe Maurer walked into a restaurant, people would be like, oh, my God, Joe Maurer's in the restaurant, even though he's one of us and Joe Maurer and very bland. Um, I might
3: feel be, like
1: he's on
4: He train.
3: might be booed. <laughs> Boo, Maurer!
1: No. no, not anymore. I think people now realize yeah. what a real clunker looks like, and yeah. it wasn't. Well, when Williams
4: Osadile we'll walks into a restaurant, though, you know, you know oh what? my God, we're gonna have some fun tonight. We're gonna have some fun tonight. We're having overcooked steak. We're ready Dude, to don't go. Laugh. I don't even care. You're probably William's right.
1: Asadillo's here. You're probably right. Like when's the next twins? Uh, they used to do the twins cooking thing. Was it maybe Morno put that together for his charity? Right. But oh, hey, wolf. it's Williams Asadillo. He's he's slinging the he's working the grill, wow. slinging burgers, Want some green, green beans. was a good green job beans? though. Yeah. Keyshawn didn't like you, but that's fine. Keyshawn had no idea that I was even on. Yeah. No. He's just like, are we still in break? Yeah. He's like <laughs> looking around. Like he's literally he's looking like, around.
4: Is this is this Phil McKay? What's his name? What what is this guy named? Oh, Phil McKay. He I don't wouldn't even know, know his last name.
0: Phil What? all
1: right. That's a wrap on today's very therapeutic episode of Mackie and Judd. Go get them, twins. <laughs> we'll see you guys tomorrow. By the way, today's show also powered by Federated. We should shout them out too. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. They've been helping business owners for over 100 years. And maybe, I don't know, if you're the twins, you might need some risk management here. Uh, you're leaking. You're leaking. Uh, I don't know if Federated can can help you with that, but you should make a call. You'll find a full list of industries Federated protects and works with at federatedinsurance.com. And remember, at Federated, it's our business to protect yours. All right, boys, write that down, predictions, tomorrow. On Purple Daily today, we're going to dive into Kellen Mann's comments after his first little uh, dipping of the toes into the Vikings practice pool and just how much he can potentially learn or not from Kirk Cousins. So check that out on the Purple Daily Podcast later today. We'll see you guys
0: tomorrow. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar